We're just going to focus in on that one verse that we're looking at today from Matthew 6, firstly, verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever amen let's uh, pray together as we come to look at this verse father we thank you for your word and we're conscious lord that when we read your word we're not reading idle words no lord these are our life And so we pray, Lord, that despite the heat this morning, you will enable us, please, to listen carefully and attentively, to hear your voice. And Father, we pray that you would teach us to pray as a church, as individuals, to the glory of the Lord Jesus. Amen. According to a team of Swiss psychologists, giving in to temptation every now and again leads to a happier, more successful, and more satisfied life. Uh, Their research, published in July 2020, involved using a psychological questionnaire to test volunteers on how they might respond to various temptations. Their findings suggest people who can enjoy life's little pleasures are less likely to suffer from depression and anxiety because they can have fun without worrying about the consequences. It's time for a rethink, said the paper's author, Katarina Bernecker of the University of Zurich. Of course, self-control is important, she says. But she adds we should pay just as much attention to pursuing short-term pleasure. Now, that study highlights a problem as we come to consider the final petition in our Lord's model prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Because that word temptation has been hijacked and trivialized so that it makes people think of well, life's little pleasures, things that are naughty but nice. Uh, the other day I saw an advert uh, for a holiday in uh, Mexico, an adult-only holiday in Temptation Cancun Resort. Some years ago I used to live near a cake shop called Sweet Temptations. As you can probably tell, I gave in frequently. <laughs> but that's not the only issue with this line of the prayer. Even if we take the idea of temptation more seriously, there are still some important theological questions for believers. For example, if we fail to pray this prayer, does that mean God will lead us into temptation? Is that the default setting for the Christian, that our loving Father in heaven leads us into temptation unless we specifically ask him not to? Well, let's get into the detail and see what this verse can teach us and other parts of the Bible can teach us, first, about not being led into temptation, and secondly, about being delivered from the evil one. And I trust the Lord will help us to see why every single believer needs to be praying this earnestly and often, building it in to our regular patterns of prayer as a church, 
in our families as individuals. First then, lead us not into temptation. Here's a request for guidance and protection. Now we usually think of God's guidance in positive terms, don't we? God leading us towards certain things. But we also need him negatively to lead us away from certain things. And this petition is another expression of our complete dependence on our Heavenly Father. We depend on him for our daily needs, verse 11. We depend on him for forgiveness of past sins, verse 12. And verse 13, we also depend on him to guide us away from future sins. Genuine faith, you see, is expressed not only by joy and delight at being forgiven what is past, but also by a growing determination not to offend God in the future. Our Heavenly Father has been so gracious, hasn't he, to forgive all our past sins. And in response to his kindness, we should prayerfully commit ourselves to avoid all future sins. But none of us, of course, can do that in our own strength. And so verse 13 is the cry of God's children for guidance and protection. Keep us out of trouble, Lord. Keep us out of trouble. That, I think, is the heart of it. But back now to our important question. Does God tempt his children? Well, if by that we mean will God himself tempt us to sin, the answer is a clear, categoric no. Turn with me, please, to another passage, to the book of James, James chapter 1. Uh, if you're in a church Bible, you'll find that on page 1213. James chapter 1, page 1213. It's also up on the screen if you don't have uh, access to a Bible. I'm going to read from verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now that seems clear enough, doesn't it? God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But keep James open for a moment, because this raises another question. Why would the Lord Jesus teach us to pray for something that God, by his very nature, promises not to do anyway. Well, it helps to understand that the Greek word translated temptation in Matthew 6 is actually a pretty neutral word, which can also mean testing or trials. Now, temptation is not a neutral word, is it? We think of temptation, we think of sin, uh, always something to be avoided by the Christian. But a test or a trial, well, that can be a good thing. Uh, Now, if you're a student, uh, exams might not always feel like a good thing. But they're intended to test your progress. And when hopefully you pass with flying colors, you're greatly encouraged. A driving test can be very stressful. But believe it or not, it's not actually designed to catch you out. Rather, its purpose is to prove your fitness to drive, which is best done, I find, on the second attempt, personally. (laughs) And the same principles apply in the Jesus Discipleship Program. Tests and trials serve to reveal our progress and to prove our spiritual fitness. They exercise our faith muscles. Great, you might think, sorted then. Jesus is teaching us to pray that God won't lead us into times of trial and testing. But hold on, why would he teach us to pray that? After all, look at the previous verse in James 1, if you've still got it open, verse 12. 
Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Or look back at verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I'm sure you can see the problem. Why on earth would Jesus teach us to pray to avoid something that grows our Christian character by producing perseverance in us? Or that having stood the test leads to eternal blessing and to receiving the crown of life? Shouldn't we be praying, Lord, lead me into countless tests and trials. Bring it on, Lord. Well, I can't speak for you, but that's certainly not my first reaction to tests and trials. I'm praying, Lord, please get me out of here, quickly. And that, I think, is the heart of this prayer. Many hundreds of years ago, one of the early church fathers, John Chrysostom, wrote, this particular petition is the most natural appeal of human weakness as it faces danger. Or more recently, theologian G.I. Packer puts it like this, life is a spiritual minefield. Amid such dangers, we dare not trust ourselves. Father, keep us safe. So yes, as a Christian, I accept that character is built and strengthened through all kinds of trials. That as Peter says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. But I also don't trust myself in a time of testing. I know how weak I am. How easily in a trial I might stray from God's commands and fall into sin. So Lord, lead me not into a period of testing, because I may not have the strength to persevere and pass the test, but if you do, please protect me so I'm not overwhelmed by it. A little earlier in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 4 verse 1, we're told Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You notice it was the Spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness. The Spirit did this with the intention of testing him, proving his spiritual fitness as the perfect Son of God to be the Savior of the world. But Jesus was tempted by the devil. The devil turned the testing of his spiritual fitness into multiple temptations to do evil. And you know, as with the Master, so with his servants. Still today, our enemy, the devil, is an expert at turning tests into temptations. So you lose your job. You fail an important exam. You get a shock diagnosis from the GP. Your energy bills rocket and you don't have the money to pay. Few examples of all kinds of trials that we might face as believers. Each one, an opportunity for the Lord to see my progress. Will I trust his goodness and his provision in this situation? Will my first reaction be to pray to my heavenly father? But the devil wants to turn those trials into temptations, to play on my sense of disappointment or frustration or anxiety or fear, perhaps dangle before me a sinful pleasure to help medicate the pain. Go on, you deserve it. Or he might tempt me to curse God in my heart to grumble and complain perhaps. Whisper in my ear, well, God's really let you down there, hasn't he? Surely if the Lord were good, he wouldn't allow you to suffer in that way. Now the precise nature of the temptation will be different for each one of us. 
I'm sure you, like me, know your own areas of weakness. And of course, the devil knows them too. So that is precisely where he will target his attacks. Well, let's take an example from earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Colleagues or friends are insulting you, persecuting you, falsely saying all kinds of evil against you because you follow Jesus. Your faith is being tested. How will you react? The way to pass the test is to consider yourself blessed. Rejoice and be glad, says Jesus, Matthew 5, 12, because great is your reward in heaven. But the devil doesn't want you to rejoice and focus on your heavenly reward. No, he wants to tempt you into thinking that following Jesus is just simply too hard, only brings trouble, or perhaps to react in kind. She insulted me, I'll insult her back. He falsely accused me, I'll fight fire with fire. Well, what about at the church level? We've entered a period of leadership transition. It's a test for us as a church. How will we respond? The godly reaction is to trust our sovereign God and devote ourselves to prayer, to submit to our leaders and encourage them at this time so that their work is a joy, not a burden, to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, to fulfill the Great Commission by continuing to go and make disciples. But that's not what our enemy, the devil, wants, of course. No, he will tempt us to turn in on ourselves, to grumble, complain, criticize, to push our own personal agendas, to ruin our witness to a watching world. Well, those are just a few reasons why we need to pray regularly for ourselves, for our family members, for our brothers and sisters around the world, and for this church. Father, lead us not into temptation. But if by the Spirit you do lead us into a time of trial, please protect us so that we don't fail the test and fall into sin. Watch and pray, says Jesus, so that you will not fall into temptation. Now in praying not to be led into temptation, we mustn't neglect our personal responsibility to flee. There is little point asking God to not to lead us into temptation, only then to charge full speed into situations where we know we're likely to be tempted. That was pretty much the story of my early Christian years. And even after 30 years as a believer, the Holy Spirit still has to remind me often that there are certain places and situations and people that are actually best avoided. Why? Well, because they're virtually guaranteed sources of temptation. So you're tempted to consume too much alcohol. Surely you have to consider if it's wise to spend too much time with friends or colleagues who get together or go out with the very purpose of getting drunk. Or you're tempted to grumble and complain. You may need to steer clear of people who always grumble and complain about everything. You're tempted to covet the perfect luxury home might be sensible to limit how often you watch Grand Designs or Channel 4's latest property show, Mega Mansion Hunters. Note to self. You're tempted to lust. You may have to determine not to binge on certain box sets or go to certain places, real or virtual, or even keep the company of certain people. That sounds radical, but it's exactly what Joseph did, isn't it? 
relentlessly pursued by Potiphar's wife for illicit sex day after day after day. And how does he respond? Well, when I went to see Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat at the Mayflower earlier this year, Joseph was seen frolicking and flirting under the covers with Potiphar's wife. I wanted to stand up and say, no, that is not what happened. Rest assured, I didn't. I controlled myself. That is not what happened. Genesis 39, verse 10. He refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. And in the same way, the New Testament urges us as Christians to flee, avoid, steer clear of sexual immorality or from any situations, things or people that might cause us to sin in a whole variety of other ways. But of course, such is our sinful human nature that often we don't want to flee, avoid or steer clear. If you're anything like me, and the Bible tells me you're exactly like me, well, we'd much rather linger, wouldn't we? Run towards, dance around the edge, see how close I can go to the fire without getting burnt. But now our prayers not to be led into temptation must be matched by taking seriously our personal responsibility to flee. Lead us not into temptation, but second half of the request, deliver us from the evil one. Now, the second half of this petition is a request for rescue. Should the Spirit of God lead us into a time of trial and testing, we need divine intervention to rescue us from the jaws of the evil one. One, remember, Peter describes as your enemy, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, you may have a footnote in your Bible next to from the evil one, offering an alternative translation of from evil. Uh, there is some debate as to how the Greek should be translated. If you're a grammar guru, you'll be interested to know it's a question of whether we read it as a neuter noun, meaning evil, or a masculine noun, meaning the evil one. If you're not a grammar guru, that probably is completely boring and uninteresting. But given this follows so soon after Jesus being tempted by the devil, I lean towards taking it as a reference to the evil one. But actually, it gives rise to another important question. Who or what is the source of evil? I have some uh, Christian friends who blame the devil for everything that goes wrong in their lives and for all their personal sins. They credit him with far too much power. That said, I think the major tendency in the West is to hardly acknowledge the devil's hand at all in evil or sin, to view him as a cheeky but pretty harmless cartoon character in a red jumpsuit. But the Bible is clear on the existence of a real personal and powerful devil, Satan, the enemy of God and his people. But thankfully, as the opening chapters of Job make clear, we can be reassured that he is under the complete control of our sovereign God. Now, if you remember that passage we read in James, it teaches us that we don't need the devil to turn up in person to tempt us. No, what did James write? Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So each of us has all kinds of evil desires lurking within us. The desire to save face or get out of a tricky situation by telling a lie. The love of money and a desire to get rich. Or pride, selfish ambition, jealousy, to name but a few. And those evil desires drag us away and entice us. It's powerful imagery. Our own evil desires lead us into temptation. So take the love of money as an example and the associated desire to get rich. That might tempt me to, I don't know, exaggerate my expenses claim at work. 
or to take that super well-paid job with all the benefits, even though I know it will have a negative impact on my family life and my walk with God. Or to be stingy and squirrel away all my money and savings, investments, property, rather than storing up treasure in heaven by sharing my God-given resources with those in need. Each of us is tempted then by our own evil desire. But that said, our evil desires certainly have the devil's fingerprints all over them. The Bible speaks elsewhere, doesn't it, of the deceitfulness of sin. And who is known as the great deceiver? Who whispered in Eve's ear in the Garden of Eden as she was tempted to give in to the desire to be like God, yet at that point still fearful of the consequences? You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. Referring to the devil, Jesus says when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So yes, the devil and his lies ultimately stand behind every temptation, every sin, every expression of evil, even though he doesn't necessarily present himself to me directly on every occasion that I'm tempted. Fortunately, the devil is not omnipresent, not present everywhere, no, remember, he prowls around. And he happily leaves our own evil desires to do the, the vast majority of the day-to-day -day tempting. And yet he delights to turn up in person when he smells blood and an opportunity to devour. Now, this is all in stark contrast to the Lord Jesus, of course. Because unlike us, our man in heaven, Jesus, is perfect. Has no sinful nature. And therefore, no evil desires to drag him away and entice him. Oh yes, when Jesus walked the earth, he was tempted in all kinds of ways, just as we are. But every single temptation he faced was external, direct from the devil himself. Which, of course, makes it all the more remarkable that he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. So to pray, deliver us from the evil one, is a cry to be rescued from our own evil desires and the deceitfulness of sin, behind which stands the influence of the evil one, the father of lies. Uh, interestingly, that verb deliver in Matthew 6.13 can also be translated drag. So whether we're dragged away and enticed by our own evil desires or on occasions by the devil himself, this is a cry to God to throw out the life belt and to drag us back to safety. Father, don't let us become potential prey for our enemy, the devil, or to take advantage, to try and enslave us again. Please intervene. Please drag us back out of his clutches so that we're not swallowed up. And brothers and sisters, this is a prayer our Father in heaven delights to answer. He loves to drag us out of temptation. Over in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul shares some warnings with the Corinthians from Israel's history. In particular, their 40-year period of wandering in the wilderness, having been rescued from slavery in Egypt. It's a great time of testing for Israel. Would they believe God's promises, look to him to provide their daily bread and lead them? Or would they grumble and complain, refuse to trust the Lord? Uh, we're not going to turn to that passage now, but I, I'd encourage you to take a look at 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 to 13, later today during the week, or maybe when you can't sleep tonight during the heat. For now, let me read Paul's conclusion in verses 9 to 13. It contains a stark warning, but also an enormous encouragement. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. 
And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them and were written down as warnings for us, Christians, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. There's the warning, now the encouragement. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted or tested beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God is faithful. Brothers and sisters, it's so important to remember that when we're going through a period of trial and testing. God knows your limit. He knows your capacity to endure. There may be some here this morning who need a particular word of encouragement in the trials that you are going through right now. Listen to this again. Take it to heart. Ask the Lord to help you believe it. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted or tested beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Well, just as we have a personal responsibility to flee from temptation, so finally we need to remember when it comes to the evil one, our personal responsibility to resist. Uh, later in his letter, in what we call chapter four, James returns to this issue of our desires that battle within us. And he recognizes that often these passions within are a symptom of our friendship with or our love for the things of this world. And when we love and crave after the things of this world rather than God, says James, this arouses the jealousy of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. But by this same Holy Spirit, God gives more grace. And so later in chapter 4, James urges us, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's another wonderful promise. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. No hint of doubt there, is there? Not he may flee, but he will flee. And yet surprisingly, this is the very thing we Christians so often fail to do in times of temptation, resist. Not of course in our own strength. No, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. So we resist the devil by crying out for God's divine power living within us to strengthen us. We also resist by relying on the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. So I resist the evil desires and deceitfulness of my heart by having a quiet word with myself, reminding myself of biblical truths. And I resist the evil one by quoting scripture to him. Jesus set the example, didn't he? Three temptations based on three lies resisted by three biblical truths. He was fulfilling the words of the psalmist, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And the outcome, Matthew 4:11. then the devil left him. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But what about when I fail to resist and fall into sin? Well, you know, this wonderfully is the glory of the gospel because my hope is not in my ability to flee temptation or to resist the evil one. No, to be a Christian is to trust in the Lord Jesus who always resisted and never once gave into temptation, which qualifies him to pay the penalty for every single time you and I fail to resist and do fall into temptation. 
in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. But praise God, Jesus did resist to the point of shedding his blood on the cross in your place and mine. And you know, on that basis alone, God in heaven will fully and finally rescue from the snare of the evil one, from the kingdom of darkness, every single person who trusts in the blood of Jesus. No matter where you've been, no matter what you have done. Hallelujah. What a savior. Just take a brief moment of quiet. Maybe just an opportunity to respond quietly to God's word into your heart, to cry out to him. Lord, lead me, lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one.